Welcome to Trust Issues, a podcast by Kepler Trust Intelligence. Please be aware that there can be a time lag when we release podcasts, meaning time-sensitive information may no longer be accurate at the time of publication. Also note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It's strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Finally, Kepler Partners LLP has a relationship with the company covered in this podcast, which may impair its objectivity. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. This week, I am joined by Jeff O'Dwyer, who is the manager of the Schroeder's European Real Estate Trust. Uh, so, Jeff, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, to get started, could you just give a brief overview of, of what the trust does for someone that isn't familiar with it? Yeah, hi, David, and good morning, and thanks for having me on your podcast, and good morning to, to listeners. Yeah, the Schroeder European Real Estate Investment Trust, we set up at the end of 2015, basically to give investors access to a diversified portfolio of direct real estate in continental Europe. Um, obviously, being an income-focused uh, investor, we're, we're looking at sort of assets that are sort of at least, um, and we typically follow a macro-micro approach where the macro is driven by picking cities that will outperform from a GDP, a employment, um, or from a population growth perspective. And then using local teams on the ground. I think that's an important point around our strategy, using local teams um, in, in those cities or those those jurisdictions where they can identify sub-markets that will benefit from transport infrastructure changes or where there's supply constraints, where there's competing demands for uses, and then more importantly, buying assets that are leased off affordable rents and then managing those assets to to create um, returns uh, growing, growing, going forward. Now, Primarily, we focused on France, uh, Germany, and the Netherlands, which is where we have our strongest teams on the ground. And within that, we've, we've really focused on cities such as Paris, Hamburg, Stuttgart, Frankfurt, and Berlin, obviously being very liquid cities, both from an occupier and an investor perspective. Okay. Uh, and so just, do you think that investing in, in those places gives you a broader um, opportunity set than you would have if you were investing solely in the UK? Um, and maybe can you go into a bit more detail about what, what the opportunity set looks like, if, if that is the case? Yeah, well, being diversified, obviously that broadens our sort of opportunity set. So we're not just focused on one sector. And obviously having that multi-sector expertise on the ground allows us to, to manage those assets uh, in the right way. And um, so therefore, we, we can see a lot more product, whether it be in terms of select offices, select retail the industrial, even some alternatives. We, we recently did a car showroom in France and we have done a, a data center in this uh, in this fund as well. So, um, yes, being a lot broader, being diversified and also those jurisdictions that I talked through, that allows us to, to, to get access to to, um, to, to a lot, lot more product. Yes, there's capital still looking at those markets. So, obviously, Europe's still a very um, sort of key market for investors and, and those cities that I touched on. Um, continue to be pretty highly in demand from a liquidity point of view. So um, it, it, there is sort of more more capital that, that that is sort of accessing that as well. And that's similar to say to the UK here, where I, I guess most of the focus is is on sort of London from an investment perspective and 
to a lesser extent looking at um, other sort of secondary cities. But if you look at Germany, for instance, you've got sort of seven cities that would typically be classified as institutional cities um, with strong liquidity, both from an occupier and investor point of view. So we look at all those cities, uh, particularly from an office and retail point of view. And then from an industrial perspective, um, we can cast the net a little bit wider, um, given that we're, we're looking at sort of distribution areas and hub locations as well. Um, for instance, we did an investment in a place called Venray in the Netherlands. Now, Venray may not be familiar to a lot of people, but it's actually a very strong European hub location and one of the top um, logistics locations across Europe. Um, so having exposure there, although it may not sound like a, a strong city from an office and, and retail point of view, but from a logistics perspective, it's a very strong location to be in. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can see a lot more product and, and obviously having that those teams on the ground to source product as well and, and having connections locally, um, that sets us very up very well to, to be able to to get access to, to good investments. Yeah, well, the, the, t- the team on the ground is something actually I'd like to talk about as well. So you, you've mentioned you, you mix a sort of top-down approach with a more micro-level micro uh, approach as well. Um, can you talk a bit more in detail about how that process works? So what, what sort of things do you look for on the macro level and then what sort of things do you want to do on the micro level and how do they sort of combine to, to produce, hopefully, good investments? Yeah, well, that's sort of why I spend a lot of time with our research teams in-house here. Um, so work closely with our sort of head of Europe, Europe guy called Oliver Kummerfeld. So if we see an opportunity or we identify a city that we like and typically a city that will grow faster um, from those sort of points that I touched on before being GDP, population growth, or, or general sort of labour or employment, um, that's a pretty sort of strong starting position. And then within that, we sort of work with the teams that will identify product in different sub-markets in those cities. And again, this coming back to this point, we want to be investing in sub-markets that there's going to be improvements in, and that, whether that be where you've got sort of rail connectivity or transport infrastructure enhancements occurring. On the back of that, you would expect to see um, – sort of evolvement of of, uh, of product in terms of access, much more accessible locations, more people living in that area. Secondly, we're looking at cities where there's a strong or diverse um, basis of employment. Often they're cities that have a, a, a very strong education background, often very strong tourism angle as well. Um, and again, areas where people like to sort of live um, work and socialize. So we're typically investing in areas where there's, I guess, competing demands for uses. So what may well be an office building today could be in a couple of years' time an alternate use to to looking at residential or, or, or another angle. So we very much work with the teams to think about being a little bit more lateral in how we assess assets. Uh, we spend a lot of time, again, from a research point of view, really in wanting to invest in areas where there is supply constraints. So we have a very strong understanding of supply and actually things are in sort of equilibrium and what helps on on our investment side then is actually you're seeing stronger rental growth and therefore on the back of that um, you're seeing sort of stronger valuation growth and and returns as well so if we can identify markets that benefit from that and then finally we spend time around affordability so we're not a buyer of going in and, and buying the best asset on the top street, that's sort of more of a prime investor where we're buying good fundamental real estate in good locations that will benefit from growth and those in trans- transport uh, improvements that I touched on, but, but amongst all buying assets that are leased off affordable rents. And I think that's becoming even more key 
given the the current sort of economic position that we're in, is that not all occupiers can pay the top rents. Um, and therefore, if you're offering good, accessible accommodation um, that's affordable, that's going to hold up very well. And there's a couple of examples later that I'll talk about in the portfolio where that's actually been a really strong and fundamental play that we have, particularly in Hamburg, um, where we had some vacancy at the start of the pandemic, but we've been able to lease all of that space because it is accessible and affordable. So they're typically a number of the criteria that we work with and we heavily debate investments that come across the table. Um, I sort of, uh, sort of not only working with sort of the lo- local teams on the ground, but working with sort of investment committee here within Schroders as well. Um, and being a diversified investor, I'm not forced into one sector and I'm not forced into one country either. So I can look at um, appropriate investments on a risk adjust- adjusted basis across um, the continent. So at the moment, we've we've tended to focus on France, Netherlands, and Germany, which is where we have the strongest teams. We do have a very strong team in the Nordics, but for this vehicle at the moment, we've elected not to to take on exposure um, to that area. Um, but if we were sort of down the track to, to raise further capital, that's probably a jurisdiction that we may, may add to. And then in terms of being diversified, I'm, I'm not wedded to any particular sector, and it's really looking at a, a, a sector that we we see sort of stronger growth in. Uh, we elected to sell out of some retail a couple of years ago and, and redeployed that capital into some industrial, which was a, a sector we saw some some stronger growth in, and we still think there's stronger um, sort of rental growth in that sector as well. So at the moment today, the uh, the balance or allocation across sectors is roughly 30% in offices, roughly 30% in industrial, 20% in retail. Uh, and then about 10% in alternatives, and then we've got about 10% in cash, so ready to, to look at new opportunities um, to add to the portfolio. Okay. Well, can you provide some examples, potentially, of, of how you've put this strategy into play? I mean, what, what sort of things do you actually have in the portfolio that, that could illustrate this to listeners? Yeah, ha- happy to, David. I mean, we obviously have a cross-section of, of exposure, um, being office, retail, industrial, and, and some alternatives. And I have spent quite a bit of time, um, particularly during the pandemic, where retail was massively out of favor and trying to explain for this particular vehicle that actually the type of retail that we've got is is really sensible and has benefited from from the pandemic. And a good example is in Berlin, where we have a a Hornback, which is a the leading DIY specialist in, in Germany. And although this is classified as retail, the play here is is really an alternate use play because we're sitting on four hectares of land in a growing part of, of Berlin. So although Hornback will probably stay for the longer term, they've got three five-year options and we're happy to take the income, the land value of this will continue to, to improve. And if we get planning in place for a mixed-use scheme, that's where we can create value. So that's that's a good example of sort of setting out one of the criteria where I said that we were looking at Submarkets or locations that will benefit from alternative uses or competing demands for uses. Um, secondly, um, we've got a an office building in in Paris where it's in an area called Saint Cloud. It's there's going to be a new train station come outside that building in 2029. It's part of the Grand Paris, which is going to be connecting the outer parts of Paris um, and also connecting into the city centre of Paris. So that particular building. It's not the prettiest building. It probably needs a little bit of investment, but we're off very, very low rents. So rents there are around sort of early 200 euros a meter. Prime rents in that location are 
around 450 euros a meter. Prime rents in the city centre of Paris are around 950. So it's a back office location, and if it's a location that's going to be improving from a transport and connectivity point of view, we expect to see stronger rental growth that will that will come from that. Um, so that that sort of excites me in being able to sort of de-risk that and see sort of stronger um, value growth on the on, on on the back of that. Equally, um, the other retail asset we have is a smaller grocery anchored scheme. So that's part of retail that we very much like, um, being food um, anchored. We've got three or four specialties that sit with that. We we have the, the grocery anchor in there is Lidl. We're in the process of, of looking at re-gearing that lease um, with them. It's a very strong urban location, very densely populated. So again, a, a, an area where I guess those um, consumers can walk to this, can do their daily shopping, and that will continue to, to remain in favour um, and hence why Lidl want to stay here and expand um, their, their footprint. So that's the type of, from a retail point of view, two, two examples of retail that we very much like. Um, and then from an office point of view, I touched on St. Clou and then um, the other two assets being Hamburg and Stuttgart. Both of those are in a very, very sort of accessible and affordable locations. So again, this accessibility, as long as you can sort of, I guess, walk, ride your bike, or there's a train or different transport that are connecting to that location, that should hold up well. And a good example is is the Hamburg asset, which is in an area called City Sud. It's one stop from the city centre. It's in a very strong mixed-use area, um, so where people sort of live, work, socialise. Um, leading into the pandemic, we had five vacant office floors. We've been able to lease every one of those floors because it's accessible and affordable. And I guess if you've got sort of teams only coming in three or four days a week, a lot of occupiers don't want to pay the highest rent, so therefore buying or being and, and having an affordable office building, that's that's holding up well. So uh, again, an area that has very low vacancy, another key part of of our investment criteria, and we should continue to see sort of strong rental growth um, on, on the back of that. So that's just a couple of examples, particularly for more on the retail and office side. Um, we do have a data center uh, in the Netherlands that's um, leased to KPN. Um, we bought that particular asset off a about 11.5 net initial yield, and that was nine years on the lease. So effectively getting our capital back over the duration of that lease. Um, that that lease doesn't expire to 2026. So we're now trying to think about what do we do with that? Can we try and re-gear that lease with KPN? The flip side is alternate use. We've got medium density residential around us. We'd get planning in place um, and possibly look at look at selling if we weren't able to re-gear uh, with KPN. So that's a couple of examples of how we're looking at the real estate and some of the strategy um, that goes behind um, and being a diversified investor. Um, there's different sort of angles that we can play with to, to create value. Um, okay, well, that's quite a lot there. But what, one of the things you, uh, you you mentioned was basically for rental uh, rents going up and that kind of supporting valuations. Um, I think that's something that people are really concerned about at the moment in in this sector in particular. Um, so, I mean, with the with the contracts that you have. Uh, in the portfolio, do those have some level of inflation linkage within them, or how how does that work? I mean, uh, and then is there any risk there of sort of uh, demand elasticity coming into play, where basically you you can put them up to a certain point, but perhaps not beyond that? Well, look, one of the real sort of positives of European investing from a real estate point of view is that the leases sort of provide for annual indexation. 
Um, so it really is a natural sort of hedge in terms of what we're dealing with on the inflation side. Um, I mean, there is the key question then is, well, are you becoming over-rented or are you in a sub-market that is seeing rental growth that's growing in a similar manner? Um, we spend a lot of time obviously looking in and credit checking and understanding the strength of our covenants and their capacity to pay. And I think this point about coming in off affordable rents is is quite key as well. So applying an index of 7 8% to a rent that is relatively modest is a bit more palatable for the occupier to take on rather than if you're coming at the prime end, um, applying a 7 or 8% increase to a rent that's sort of 900 euros a metre in central Paris versus, say, a rent of 200 euros a metre in, in the office building that we've got in, in Paris. So that's sort of one point I would, would say about that. Um, I guess the, 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 we haven't had any sort of issues in terms of tenants paying the indexation or the inflationary um, pressures that we're, we're, we're facing. Obviously, it is a key, a key point, and we work with our occupiers, and that's one of the areas that we pride ourselves on in being and having that operational mindset and understanding their business. So one of the areas that we're trying to do is improve in the sort of sustainability criteria of the assets and therefore reducing the occupancy costs, whether it be through service charge, energy costs. And that's one way where we can try and reduce the overall cost for, for, for our occupiers. So um, at the moment, we're, we're managing the inflationary side. We've, we've got tenants that are able to pay their their um, often their businesses are being able to pass on those costs as well. And we're in sub-markets where we're seeing rental growth. Um, and, I, and I think one of the key points, particularly from an office point of view, the the two assets that we have in Germany, we've got one in Hamburg and one in Stuttgart. I mean, the asset in Stuttgart, the vacancy rate in Stuttgart is around 1.5%. It's the lowest vacancy rate in the whole of Europe. So therefore, naturally on the back of that, you're seeing – um, some good some good rental growth. Now, our rents there, we're off around 15 euros a meter, which is per square meter per month. To put that into perspective, prime rents in, in central Stuttgart are now 35 euros. So we're still at a very deep discount to where prime is. Um, so therefore, there's the opportunity still to, to push forward um, that, that indexation or that, that growth. Um, so I feel comfortable in terms of our, our tenants being able to pay um, for that increase. We're all under pressure, but as a as a landlord that understands real estate, we're working with them about ways that we can try and mitigate with that be through trying to reduce service charge and their overall occupancy cost. Um, but no, I'm not, not concerned around that inflationary side. And actually, um, it's seemed to be a sort of a hedge for, for European investing, which is very different to, say, here in the UK, where rents are typically um, five yearly to market. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, it seems like the, the more value-oriented approach you're taking has actually helped you quite a lot in, in the, over the past 18 months or so. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we set the stall out which to, to be more of an income focus, but there is an element within the portfolio where there is some opportunities for, for, for value creation. And we, we did something recently in Paris, which is probably the best example of us as investment managers or asset managers, where we took a what was really a grade C office building in a strong part of Paris. It was in a uh, in the southwest called Boulogne-Billancourt, and it was a building that was worth about forty million. It was a single tenanted building. We bought this with about five years left on the lease. We didn't know whether the tenant was going to stay. We we had a reasonable sort of understanding that we'd be able to try and re-gear with them. 
But what became clear is that we needed to improve the quality of the building. So what we agreed with the tenants is that we would invest about 30 million into the asset and turn it into a grade A BRIAM rated uh, office building. And at the same time, we organized a sale, so a forward funding disposal of this, which allowed us to fund the refurbishment. And we agreed that at about 100 million. So that created about 30 million of pre-tax profit, which we've been able to distribute back to investors via some, some special dividends. So we've actually given about 13 million back to investors over the last 15 months. Um, through through special dividends. So that's the best example of us as investment managers of how we can use our expertise within real estate and creating value and looking at that value that you've just touched on um, and to, to drive returns and, and allow shareholders to benefit in that profit that we make. So again, what comes back to that story was that we're in an area where there was supply constraints. There was angles around competing demands because we did look at converting that to residential as well. But the way that we were able to move the rents, it, it meant the offices were still remained as the, the best use of that. And um, the fact that we were in a very strong sub-market, we saw institutional demand from an investment point of view, and that allowed us to um, pr- sort of utilize that liquidity and, and achieve a, a really strong exit value um, to, to create that profit. Um, so that's how we're looking at real estate. Um, again, it's not just about taking income. It's also about well, how do we create value? And you really need to have, I guess, those boots on the ground and the ability to create that value and having teams and the expertise that we have within Schroders sets us up well. Yeah. And so are you are you still in the process of reinvesting some of the, the money you made from that transaction? We are, David. We We've been very clear to investment on the market to sort of say, look, we're going to be patient here. We didn't see a lot of value during sort of the end of 21, early part of 22. So we actually didn't really redeploy that capital. We've recently done a couple of transactions. We, we did one a couple of weeks ago, actually, in the Netherlands, where we bought an industrial asset that is a long lease. So it was an ability to try and improve the unexpired lease term and also improve the building quality of the portfolio. So we allocated about $11.2 million to a sale and lease back, which is a 20-year um, lease to a very strong covenant. That And this particular covenant focuses on the sort of battery, electrical, and solar side of, of uh, from an industry point of view, so very much a growth um, sector. It's a business that's been in place for, for over 100 years, so a very robust business, and it's in a part of the Netherlands that is growing fast, um, both from a manufacturing and a population point of view. So it's it's in an area called Alkmaar, about 40 kilometers to the north of, of Amsterdam. So we saw that as a, a good investment, a good real estate play. We were able to buy that off at about a 5.6 net initial yield, um, and given the, the length of that lease and the, and the quality of that covenant, we felt that was appropriate um, to allocate some capital to that. Uh, we Before that, we did a, a little investment in France where we bought, and I'll classify this more as, as an alternative, where we bought a, a car showroom. And that was a good real estate deal where we, we bought the best asset or the best site with the largest frontage in an agglomeration of 22 car showrooms in, in Cannes. So Cannes is a very, obviously, strong part of France from a population and wealth perspective. Um, 
this particular car showroom sits next to Lamborghini and Ferrari. It's leased a Fiat at the moment. Um, we saw or believe there is some upside in terms of the rents that are currently being paid here. Longer term, there's alternate use on this, but sitting behind us is medium density residential. Um, and this particular site has really strong views towards the, the water. So that's the probably the ultimate play down um, sort of longer term is, is to look at that alternate use. But we're happy to to take the income on that and, and work with Fiat and and also um, manage that expiry, which is about three years left. And we bought that off around a 5.5 net initial yield with a reversion to about 6.3, so 6.3%, so a bit of growth in that going, going forward. So that's the kind of investments, again, a relatively small investment um, at around $8 million. And, and that's where I've been trying to sort of allocate some capital to try and improve the diversification of the portfolio. We're looking at some other logistics at the moment. It's one of the sort of key areas of trying to increase our industrial weighting to around a third um, of the portfolio. So that's why we we added the the, the recent Dutch deal uh, within within that sector. It's a sector that we see sort of stronger rental growth with as well on the continent. Um, so I think that's probably one area where still got strong conviction around. Um, so with the remaining capital that we have, we'll continue to look at, at that sector. Um, and uh, it would be no surprise, and I've been very clear to the market, that's probably where the remaining capital will go. We've got about $40 million left to redeploy, um, and that's a, a key focus of ours. Okay. Um, so, so in a way, you've been touching there on, on opportunities that you see in the market. Um, and I'm curious if you think the sort of interest rate hikes that we've seen over the past 18 months or so um, can lead to more opportunities for you just because this is a sector that can often have a lot of very leveraged players in it um, if they're find, getting squeezed by higher rates or, or finding it difficult for other reasons. Um, are you seeing any signs of that or do you think that's something that could sort of de- develop over the next couple of years? No, I think that's right. I mean, you're spot on. We we are starting to see signs of that. And I think banks are definitely being a lot more discerning in terms of who they lend to and the LTVs um, that they provide. Obviously, the cost of debt is is increasing. So having that capital and being patient has been the right thing. And I, and I do um, think we will see uh, much more opportunity, particularly for those existing owners um, who – Probably over levered, and and obviously we've we've been operating rightly or wrongly in a period where um, I guess money money's been free, um, and I think there was a lot of uh, people have taken advantage of that, and are probably going to get a bit of a shock when their loan expires over the next sort of year to two years that they're not going to get the same terms, um, and on the back of that, if they need to, I guess raise more equity, they may not be in a position or may not have the balance sheets to, to do that. So I think on the back of that, there will be, be a bit more product and therefore having some equity at the moment to take advantage of that like we do is a is a positive. So you're spot on. That That's a very, um, very clear, uh, I, I guess, trend that we, uh, we're seeing and that most investment managers will, will be seeing and, and the market um, is looking forward those with capital looking forward to 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 access yeah well i mean maybe maybe to finish off can you talk a bit about how you're set up in terms of gearing um and wh- whether you have had to renegotiate rates at all um this and any sort of risks around that that you think investors should be aware of yeah i mean we're we're a modest user of 
of leverage. I mean, as a house with insurers, we've we never really uh, are a huge lever or user of, of debt. This particular vehicle has a maximum of thirty five percent that we can go to at the moment. We're at about thirty percent, and if you take out the cash that we've got, it moves down to about eighteen percent. Um, so really, really strong position. Notwithstanding that, the cost of that is increasing, as I alluded to before, and we did have some debt that, that just expired in Germany, and we decided to um, re-gear that debt at the end of last year. So we went out to the market to see, well, what was the appetite? And it was providing some debt against two office buildings, so those two offices that I touched on, one being in Hamburg, one being in Stuttgart, and we had six offers um, from a range of, of German banks um, at very competitive margins. So we ended up securing um, a new five-year uh, loan at an 85 basis point margin. And then obviously on the back of that, we, we did lock into a five-year swap, which was at around sort of 2.95. So an all-in cost there of, of around 3.8%. So relative to where we were, um, five years ago, when we when we first did that that debt, um, when the five year swaps were at zero, you can appreciate that that cost of debt has has increased. Um, but obviously, we have the capacity to to, to cover that. We have um, another little loan. Uh, oh, sorry, and just on that, we we took the advantage actually to not just refinance that loan, but actually we increased that loan. So we took took that from fourteen million to eighteen million, with a view to using that four million to look at repaying a little loan that we have in France in a place called Rumilly against a logistics asset. So we'll probably repay um, that loan and then look at refinancing or maybe regrouping that particular asset with a couple of other investments that we have in France um, that are unlevered uh, at the moment. And then the other expiry we've got is in is in the Netherlands um, where we, we have an existing loan with HSBC. So we're, we've started discussions now. That doesn't expire till September. Um, but we're in discussions now um, with with them. We would look to add the recent Alkmaar investment to that as well. So the fact that that's a sort of a 20-year lease and a very strong, um, well-developed building in a good location, um, that should improve the, the loan uh, pool um, around that. But um, look, I think it's, it, it, it is getting harder. And I think there's going to be a lot of, as I touched on before, a lot of sort of owners out there who banks may not sort of take the same view in terms of how what they're taking with with someone like a Schroeder's obviously our ability to manage and de-risk and deal with say the ESG side and 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 manage um, whether it be refurbishment works or reposition a building like like for example what we did in Paris I think banks are going to be much more discerning and wanting to align themselves with with good investment managers um, rather than I guess owners that, that may not be specialists in in that particular field. Um, so I think again on the back of that, there will be more products. But I think we're in a in a good position to be managing um, the the debt expiry that we've got, given the the low leverage that we we seek. Okay, well that's a I think a positive note on which minute. So uh, Jeff, thanks very much uh, for for joining us, and hopefully we can chat again soon. No worries. Thanks, David. All the best. <laughs>